0: Good morning, RBC. Uh, once again, welcome to our live stream on Sunday morning. Uh, welcome to our Palm Sunday service. We are excited uh, to be together and worshiping the Lord as a family. Uh, again, I do miss getting to see all your faces and sorry you have to see mine so big. But uh, we are happy to be together here. Want to let you know just about a couple things that, that are going to be going on. We are doing a Good Friday service. Uh, this week we'll be live streaming at 7 p.m., uh, so you can access it the same way. Just go to the website and, uh, and click on Sermon Watch Live. And we're going to um, be also partaking in communion on Friday evening. So I uh, have some elements ready to go for that. And, and we are looking forward to that time coming together and remembering uh, the death of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Um, also this morning, just want to make you aware that we are going to be, um, partaking communion, uh, this morning. And so if you haven't already, I encourage you, uh, maybe take just a moment and, and go and grab either a cracker or a piece of bread and, uh, and some juice or something so that you can join us as pastor Jason is going to lead us in, uh, in communion this morning. But I want to go ahead and just open our time this morning in a word of prayer. Let me pray for us. And then pastor Jason's going to take on over. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for this day that you have given to us, this day to come, and to worship you, and to, to magnify and to honor you. And so, Father, we, we pray that you would be honored and glorified in, in uh, your word going forth. We pray that it would serve as an encouragement to all those who hear, and uh, Lord, that, that you would just uh, take joy in seeing your church uh, worshiping you and And looking to you, Lord, may we honor you in that. And we thank you for Pastor Jason and his love for you, his love for your word. We pray that you would speak through him in a powerful way that uh, that your church might be edified. For your glory, we pray in Jesus name. Amen. Amen. thank you, pastor eric. and and once again, welcome.
1: welcome, albeit virtually from from my computer here at church, to your computer, to your iPhone, to your touchpad, to uh, ho- however it is that you are able to see me this morning. What a, what a wonderful opportunity we have to, to gather together, but not gather together. And I am excited about the opportunity of, of bringing God's word to us this morning. And to really, what, what my desire this morning is to do is to take the focus off of the the coronavirus and everything that's going on around us right now and and place our focus upon the Lord to prepare our hearts for for what we are going to be remembering and celebrating this coming up week as far as Good Friday, as far as Easter goes, as far as the, the crucifixion of our Lord Jesus Christ and his resurrection. But let me start off our time just praying for all those affected by the coronavirus each one of us those within our body that are on the front lines whether it be nursing or even involved in in hospitals and in all sorts of other ways and just ministering to folks right now and for those of you who who as this whole situation continues to just build and build and build perhaps last week you weren't you weren't nervous and, and this week you're you're getting a little bit more angst and a little bit more ramped up. So let me pray that that the Lord would allow us to take our focus off of those things and onto Him this morning. So let's pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, we we do stop and acknowledge You once again as being sovereign. That You are in control of all things, particularly our very lives, Lord. And I wanna I wanna pray. Specifically this morning for, for all the doctors and nurses that are serving all of us right now, Lord, would you protect them? I, I pray for the families in particular that have already felt the impact of, of this virus in, in heavy, heavy ways with losses to their loved ones, some fathers, mothers, Lord. I, I ask that you would, you would just lavish your grace upon those families this morning. I pray that you would continue to allow your gospel to go forth. That people would hear the hope that comes from you. A hope that goes beyond this life into the next. A hope that is is greater, a remedy that is much more far-reaching than any kind of immunization or inoculation that, that someone could come up with right now to to give an answer to the coronavirus, Lord, I pray that the hope of your gospel would continue to go forth, and that many would trust in you during these days. And now, Lord, as we as we shift our focus on to you and on to your triumphal entry, may you be honored, may you be glorified, as we spend time digging into your word, remembering you, and learning how to honor you in all that we do. For it's in Jesus' precious name
2: that we pray. Amen.
1: So this morning, I, as I was thinking about Palm Sunday and, and, and what this means, I, I stumbled upon, well, this last week, uh, I can't explain it, but a very powerful story about a young boy. And I I want to share this story as an introduction for where we're going to go this morning. And supposedly the story is true, and and I wouldn't doubt it because I've seen things like this happen. The story takes place in Tennessee. And it takes place from the the vantage point of a little nine-year-old boy. And he lives in a, in a town in a city where a church actually had a bus ministry. And, and what they did was this bus driver would drive around the city and he'd, and he'd go knocking on doors. And, and at those homes, he would invite the children in those homes to come to church. And so as he's driving around, he, he comes up to one house and he knocks on the door. And it's a Saturday morning. And a little nine-year-old boy opens the door. And this bus driver says, well, may I speak with your mom and your dad, please? And this little boy looks at him and, and he says, oh, no, I, I'm sorry. My, my mom and dad leave every weekend. And they, and they leave me in charge of my younger brother. And so we're, we're here all alone. And the bus driver then says, well, well may I come inside and, and speak with you? And, and the man goes inside and he and he sits down with, with this young nine-year-old boy. And he asks this nine-year-old boy, so, so, so you're here every weekend all by yourselves? And he says, ha, have you come to church? Do you, what, what church do you go to? And, and the boy says, church? What? No, no, I, I, I don't go to church. And the man says, wait, so you've never been to church? And the little boy looks at him and goes, no, I, I don't even know what church is. And then the man, for the next 20 minutes, explains to this young boy the wonderful message of Jesus Christ. How Jesus, being God, became man and came and lived among us and lived a perfect life. But then at the end of his life, how he, how he was hung on a cross, not, not for his sins, not for anything that he had done wrong, but to pay the penalty for sin for all those who who would believe in him. And so then the man says, so Jesus has has offered his life in payment for us. Do do you believe that that Jesus died for sins? And the the young boy says, yes, yes. And and the man says, well, would you like to accept Jesus as your savior this morning? And and the boy says, yes, yes, please. What must I do? And And the man says, all you have to do is believe. And the young boy believes, and, and then the man says, And and how about tomorrow? Would it be okay if I came by again in the bus and I picked you up and, and I and I took you to church? And, and yes, you can bring your brother. And the young boy's all excited, and he says, Yes, yes, let's let's do that. And so then the next day comes. And the man in the bus, he's picked up all these other children, and he and he goes up to this young nine year old boy's house and he and he knocks on the door and, and, and there's no answer. He knocks on the door a little bit louder, and there's, and there's still no answer. Now, I wouldn't have done this, but this is what this guy does. He goes into the house, and he walks around, and he, and he, and he sees the bedroom where the boys are sleeping, and, and they've overslept. And he wakes them up, and, and, and of course, the nine-year-old boy is so excited, he just jumps up, gets his clothes on, and they run out, and, and, and the bus driver gives them a donut on the way to church. And they get to church, and the, and the young boy is just bright-eyed, watching everything. And he, and he sees, and he joins in in the worship and the singing. And then everybody stops, and they sit down, and, and a man comes up. And he says a word that the boy really can't understand. And, and then they start passing out these, these wooden, what look like plates. And as they, they pass those plates around, this young boy is watching everybody in front of him. And he sees that some of them are are reaching into their pockets and they're they're taking out money and they're giving to the Lord. And this young boy recognizes, oh, I I see, Jesus has given us so much in giving us his life that that now we give back to him. Okay, so then he reaches into his pockets and and he's getting more and more nervous because it's coming close now as as this plate is being passed down the aisle towards him and yet he has no money, he he has no coins. And so the, the, the plate is passed to him, and he, and he grabs, and he holds, and he looks at it, and he wishes so much that he had something to put in it, but he doesn't, and, and so he just passes it on. Now, the corner of his eye, he's just watching that plate be passed back and forth, back and forth behind him. And then as, as it's almost done, offering is almost complete, he comes up with this crazy idea, and with everybody watching, he jumps up and he runs down the aisle and he runs back to the man that is that is handing out the offering plate. And he says, please, please, may I have that? And the man's like, well, OK. And the little boy, he takes the offering plate and he looks at it and he, and he
2: puts it down on the ground.
1: And then he says this, he says, Jesus, I don't have anything to give you today, but just me. So I give you me and he stands on top of the offering plate for all to see. And that's a good grasp and understanding of the thankfulness that we should have towards the Lord. Is it not? I also believe that, that that's, I mean, it's a small picture, but, but it is a, a little bit of a picture Of what Jesus is preparing to do as he comes into Jerusalem. Do do you know what Jesus is doing on this Palm Sunday that we're gonna look at this morning? He's recognizing that he is just about to give it all, that he's gonna give everything that he has except for his deity. He's gonna lay down his life for his sheep. And yet, what we're gonna see this morning is, is I've entitled this message is that even though the, their savior king comes, the savior king does come and he presents himself to them. Even though he does this, they miss him. They miss their king. So turn with me if you have your Bibles or your app or, or whatever it is that, that you use to, to look at the word of God. Turn with me to John chapter 12, verses 12 to 19. as we're now going to look at how Jesus came
2: and and how he was received on this Palm Sunday.
1: 12 to 19, John chapter 12. On the next day, the large crowd who had come to the feast, when they heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem, took the branches of the palm trees and went out to meet him and began to shout, Hosanna! Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, even the king of Israel. Jesus, finding a young donkey, sat on it. As it is written, fear not, daughter of Zion. Behold, your king is coming, seated on a donkey's colt. These things his disciples did not understand at the first. But when Jesus was glorified, then they remembered that these things were written of him and that they had done these things to him. So the people who were with him when he called Lazarus out of the tomb and raised him from the dead, continued to testify about him. For this reason also the people went and met him, because they heard that he had performed this sign. So the Pharisees said to one another, you see that you are not doing any good. Look, the world has gone after him. Let's pray.
2: Heavenly Father, we, we don't want to miss you.
1: We know with all that is going on around us, we, we know with the, the pull of our own hearts, the deceitfulness of our own hearts, and our, and our love of ourselves, that it is much easier than, than we actually recognize to miss you. So Lord, help us this morning. Get a grip on our Hearts, inform our minds through your word that we wouldn't miss you. And that as we come to to this wonderful time of the year where we celebrate you and all that you have done for us, Lord. May that celebration start today as we recognize your coming into Jerusalem so that you could go to the cross, so that you could raise from the dead, so that you could ascend on high. And be seated at the right hand of the Father. So bless the time that we get to spend in your word now. And allow your Holy Spirit to be our guide, to be our teacher. For it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. So on this day, in, in, in the history of all of mankind, Jesus himself comes into Jerusalem and he's presenting himself as the coming promised Messiah yes as the coming king but as the savior king and this morning what we are going to see is we're going to see three different groups of people who respond to jesus really in three different ways and they are going to teach us how we should not respond the first group we're going to see them we're going to see through them that shouting is not worship the second group we're going to see that seeing is not understanding and the third group, we're going to see that even in meeting Jesus, even meeting him face to face, you can still miss him. I think that we could easily say that, that this entry of Jesus, that, that we call the triumphant entry, could also be looked at as the tearful entry. Because as Jesus finally makes his way to Jerusalem and, and And don't miss this. His entire life has been lived with this as the ultimate objective. This is where he has been going his entire life. He knew that this is where he was going to end up. And we know that that what is happening here is important because it's, it's included in every one of the Gospels. And many times, different accounts They don't always register the same thing. But this one in particular is found in every gospel, all four of them. And so obviously the Lord is letting us know this is important. We we must understand this. And it not only, as we look at it correctly, does it prepare our hearts for truly understanding what we're going to look at on Good Friday at 7 o'clock and next Sunday here But it also gives us some very good reminders of how we as God's children should welcome the Lord Jesus Christ into our hearts and into our lives. So let's look at this this first group, which is a huge, huge group. And we see them in verses 12 and 13. And this is the group that teaches us that shouting is not the same as worshiping even in such a context as this. So we see here on the next day, the large crowd who had come to the feast, when they heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem, took the branches of the palm trees and went out to meet him and began to shout, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, even the King of Israel. So as we look at this crowd and and, and what would be the number of this crowd? Well, well, historians disagree, but what they do agree on is it was a whole lot of people. It wasn't a 1,000. It wasn't 10,000. It wasn't even 100,000. It was greater than that. Most would say a million to 2 million people were coming to Jerusalem for the Passover during this time. So we are talking a great, large group of people. And as they come, some of them hear about what Jesus had just previously done, and we see this in the first half of of John chapter twelve that Jesus had, had gone, and that he had done something something amazing to a man named Lazarus. He had literally raised him from the dead days after he had already passed away. And as so many heard this, and then they heard that Jesus was in Bethany, they take off and. And they go see Jesus and they see Lazarus. And so they get more and more excited. And as Jesus comes to Jerusalem, they come with him and they join the other crowd that has now heard about Jesus coming. And if I was going to characterize this crowd, the way that I would characterize this crowd is they are eager. They are excited. That's what they're all about. That's what they're they're ready. They are ready to, to go ahead and usher in Jesus as their king. And so we see them them do this. These things that would be odd for for us, but for them had so much significance. What do they do? They do everything right. You see, they they find some palm branches which would have been all over the place. They cut some of them off, down. They they lay them on the street, and and this is is all to to point to the way that that they are celebrating their Jewish nationalism. They are celebrating victory. And, And really what they're doing is they're announcing the national victory that this man is going to bring to them. But don't miss how John pens it. As he says that they began to shout. He doesn't say they began to worship. He says they began to shout, and, and this word means literally to utter a loud sound, to cry out. It can mean to scream excitedly, and, and what this is is this is a, a crowd who, who, who they're all gathered. They look like they're doing the right thing. They look like they're all about the right thing. Person. Yes, it's all, it's all about him there. They're so excited and they're so excitable that more and more join in.
2: And it seems so good and it seems so right.
1: And, and yet the reality is it's off. Do you know where we're gonna see the same word? And it's gonna be speaking of the same crowd. Just a, a couple more chapters down. And John chapter 18, verse 40. You see when Pilate brings Jesus be- before the people and he says, hey, it is it is my custom to, to release someone. Should I release Jesus to you? Should I let Jesus go? I found nothing wrong with him. Hey, come on, let me let him go. And what do they respond? They respond, they cry out, release Barabbas. That word cry out is the same word here that that is used to be translated, they began to shout. It's the same word. That's exactly what this crowd does in in less than a week's time. How could things flip-flop so so quickly within a week? Well, it's because they weren't really recognizing the king. They, They didn't understand that he had come to be their Messiah, to be their savior king. Oh, yes, they wanted him to come and save them. Oh, indeed, that that is what they were thinking. He has come to save us. But what they didn't recognize is that the very day that Jesus is entering into Jerusalem is is the day described in Exodus 12.3 as the day when, when the nation of Israel would go out and choose their Passover lambs. And this is what everybody would have been doing in Jerusalem on this day as well. They would have been going and finding their Passover lambs that they could use to sacrifice. And yet what they didn't know was that this coming one, this Messiah, this Lamb of God that had come to take the sins, the take away the sins of the world was there before them. And so they should have been worshiping, not just shouting. But notice in this, and and this is so convicting, because if you just pull it apart and you just look at the very words that they are saying in verse 13, they're all totally true. They're all spot on, but they're off because of their hearts. Notice what they say. They say, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, even the King of Israel. Do you know what Hosanna means? It means save now. But in the Greek, it's deeper than that. There's there's a little word attached to the beginning as a prefix on to this verb. And what it means literally isn't just save now. It's please save now. It's emphatic. It's yes, yes, right now, save us. This is what we need. What they thought that they needed more than anything was salvation from the Romans. And so that's what they're celebrating. They're celebrating what what they think that they need. And as a result, this is why they respond the way that they respond. And yet the reality is that isn't what they needed. That isn't why Jesus had come. He had come first to lay his life down. He had come first as the Savior King, but, but they had missed it.
2: how do I know this
1: look at Luke 1941 to 44 because it's it's not just in their response that we see with within a week's time that gives us the clue that they were off but it's the way that Jesus responds you see if they really got it And if they were truly indeed worshiping, then don't you think that Jesus would be excited about what was going on? But what we find in Luke 19 is is Jesus is, is distraught over how they are responding to him. Look at what it says. Luke 19, verses 41 to 44. When he approached Jerusalem, He saw the city and wept over it, saying, if you had known in this day, even you, the things which make for peace. You see, that was what Jesus had come, peace for them in their sin. But now they have been hidden from your eyes. For the days will come upon you when your enemies will throw up a barricade against you and surrounds you and hem you in on every side. And they will level you to the ground and your children within you. And they will not leave in you one stone upon another because you did not recognize the time of your visitation. On this blessed day when when Jesus comes and, and they are to recognize him as their savior king, they miss him. Oh, and he was so worthy not to be missed. You see, he comes and all the the fulfillment of prophecy. And these are are things that they should have grasped. They should have understand. Look at verses 14 and 15. As we see exactly how Jesus entered and what kind of manner. And it says this, Jesus, finding a young donkey, sat on it. As it is written, fear not, daughter of Zion. Behold, your king is coming, seated on a donkey's colt. We we see here that, that maybe one of the biggest reasons why they miss Jesus, why they don't understand exactly who he is, is because he didn't come in, in the way that a normal king comes. You see, a normal king is going to come on a white stallion, and he's going to come with this great big army behind him. And he's going to come with all of the regalia of of royalty, with the robe, with the crown, and and everything else. But how does Jesus come? He doesn't come like that at all. He comes as as a humble servant who will become the suffering servant. He comes as the very Lamb of God. He still comes to deliver. It's just that they didn't understand what he came to deliver them from. And they thought that they knew what they needed most. And are we not the same? Don't we think time and time again, oh, I know what I need. I'm going to write it out here, Lord. And now you do exactly what I want you to do. And the Lord says, no, (laughs) you must follow me. You must trust me. I am going before you. You see, Jesus had come for for the deliverance of their sin, but, but they didn't. Think about that. I, I wonder if, if these folks really even noticed that Jesus was on a donkey. And yet, what a wonderful lesson for us all. I, I wonder if you listening at home, wh- wherever you are, if, if you recognize why Jesus came. You see, the first time Jesus came, he came to offer himself as a sacrifice for sin. To be the very Lamb of God, represented in the Old Testament as all those lambs, literally millions of lambs that had been sacrificed over and over again in order to do what? To pay the penalty for sin. But they'd have to offer them year after year after year. Jesus came once, and he laid down his life one time. Why? Because he was the perfect sacrifice so that all those that would believe in him would be able to then enjoy eternal life with him, which he is the only one who could offer. But notice in this well, please recognize that Jesus is coming back again. The first time he came as a humble servant, as a suffering servant, as the very Lamb of God, as the Savior King, he will come again as the reigning king. Revelation 19 in the Bible lets us know that when he comes again, he's going to come on a war horse. And my question for you this morning, no matter where you are, is are you ready for that day? Or or perhaps are you like these? Have you missed him? And don't be too sure that you haven't missed him. Because it might surprise you who else misses him. Because what we see next are are the men that have been with him for three years, listening to his teaching, walking with him, step by step on the road, learning from him over and over again. You know what happens with these men, these disciples of the Lord Jesus Christ? They miss it too. As we see that they are ones who are seeing but not understanding. Look at verse 16. John chapter 12, these things his disciples did not understand at the first. But when Jesus was glorified, then they remembered that these things were written of him and that they had done these things to him. So we we see here that Okay, the first crowd, that great big, large crowd that was laying down the palm branches, they were the ones that were eager, but they were not earnest. They, they were shouting but they were not worshiping. Then I would say the disciples, they were knowledgeable but they weren't wise. They were seeing, but they were not understanding. and And I wonder in all of this, how difficult was this for John to write? How humbling was this for John to write? Looking back to recognize, oh man, we missed it too. It was clear. It was evident. Everything that happened pointed back to the prophecies. Zechariah 9.9, there it says it, plain and simple, right out in the open. When this Messiah comes, he will come riding on a donkey. How did we miss it? The same way that you and I miss it. The same struggles that you and I have are the same struggles these disciples had. Because they're just like us. We're just like them. And so often we are slow to get it. Are we not? That God's grace needs to be lavished on us again and again and again. And God's grace needs to do its work in us. But oftentimes that work, because we are so foolish and slow to get it, that work takes a lot longer than we would think that it should. But I think there's more to what's going on than just that with the disciples. Because in verse 16, John explains when they get it. When do they get it? They get it later. I I don't believe they get it when when Jesus even raises from the dead. And they see him and they're like, oh, yes, oh, now we get it. He definitely is the coming king. Now they might have been thinking that, that he was going to go ahead right there and then bring the kingdom and that he was going to conquer Rome. But there they, they still needed more understanding. And do you know when that understanding comes? That understanding comes when the Holy Spirit is sent. And the Holy Spirit comes upon them and then indwells them. And as the Holy Spirit indwells them, then the word of God that they had heard before, such as Zechariah 9, nine. then all of a sudden that becomes illuminated and they're like, oh, now we get it. Remember back then, guys, what was happening is Jesus came in to Jerusalem. We didn't understand it fully, but now because of the Holy Spirit indwelling us, now we understand. And what a wonderful lesson for us that, that we need to stay in the word of God So that the Holy Spirit can use the word of God to illuminate our minds, to make things more clear. So that when we're in a time like we are right now with the coronavirus, that we can see the faithfulness of God over and over again. We can see that everything that pans out in the end pans out and goes along with exactly what God's sovereign purpose and plan was just as even to the extent of having a donkey that Jesus would come in on was prophesied so many years before this by the prophet Zechariah. And so we see that, that yes, the, the closest friends of Jesus were there, but they missed it. They missed him as well. And now what we're going to see is the last two groups. Really, it's one group, but, but they're, they're made up of two that they really miss him. They're not presented as as quite as eager as the first group that that we already looked at that were shouting but not worshiping. And they're they're definitely not as intimately acquainted with Jesus as the disciples. But, But make no mistake, these ones as well, they should have got it. They should have seen and understood. They should have witnessed him and said, oh, yes, we know who this king is. But instead, we see that they are the ones that are meeting, but missing. They meet Jesus, even face to face, but they, they miss him. Look at verses 17 and 18 first. So the people who were with him when he called Lazarus out of the tomb and raised him from the dead, continued to testify about him. For this reason also the people went and met him because they heard that he had performed this sign. So we see in this group, the group that meets Jesus, but they really miss him. Here there, there appears to be two groups that are joining together. The first group is the one that we that we saw earlier in, in verses 12 and 13. These are the ones that, that heard that Jesus was nearby Jerusalem in Bethany, and that he was there with with Lazarus and Mary and Martha. And so they take off and they go and and, and they find Jesus. And they also find Lazarus. And they want to know exactly what has happened. And so as a result, they, they hear about the resurrection. They literally see Lazarus there, knowing that he was in grave clothes, that he was dead for days. And as a result of this power displayed, in that life of Lazarus, what does what this group do? They get excited, and they come back. they can't keep quiet. They let everybody know that they find in Jerusalem, they tell them about this miracle. But again, notice the words that are used. They are significant, because what it says about them is that they are bearing witness or they are testifying. It does not say that they are evangelizing. It does not say that they are teaching. It does not say that they are proclaiming, which is different than how this word is used when it is used earlier to describe John the Baptist. You see, John the Baptist also testified about Jesus, but he testified about Jesus for a particular reason, and it says it like this. He was testifying about him so that they would believe. But we don't see that here. And I believe the reason is, is because they were merely testifying about the miracle, but not about the man. That that's all they were about. They were about all the excitement, all all the emotion of of what Jesus had done. But they had missed the message that Jesus was proclaiming about himself. The message that, that even John was proclaiming before Jesus came, and even the message that Lazarus himself was proclaiming. Look at verses 9 to 11 in in John chapter 12, as this becomes so clear as to how these guys should have been testifying, but they weren't, because this is how Lazarus was testifying. Look at verse 9. The large crowd of the Jews then learned that he, speaking of Jesus, was there. And they came not for Jesus' sake only, but that that they might also see Lazarus, whom he raised from the dead. But the chief priests planned to put Lazarus to death also. Why? Right here, listen. Because on account of him, speaking of Lazarus, many of the Jews were going away and were believing in Jesus. You see, Lazarus didn't just speak about the miracle, he spoke about the man. He understood that Jesus was much greater than his miracle. Lazarus understood that he was going to die again. And that this time, he was going to die complete. And the only way that things were going to go well for him after he died was for him to accept Jesus as a Savior. He recognized that Jesus was indeed the Messiah, the Savior King. And so when Lazarus told people about what Jesus had done, he always told them in such a way that they would hear the gospel, that they would be able to respond and believe, and so that the Lord would save many. We don't see that anywhere in this account. When it comes to Jesus entering Jerusalem, when it comes to this triumphant entry, salvation of souls, believing in Jesus Christ as the Messiah is missing, It is not here. Why? Because they missed him. They don't see him as the coming Messiah, the coming Savior. People are not getting saved as a result of this, which is what was happening just earlier back in Bethany, listening to the testimony of Lazarus, who was also testifying about Jesus Christ. I believe they were all about the miracle and missed the man. And so all those that came, they came for the excitement of seeing, oh, the miracle man, but they didn't recognize that he was the saving man and that he would save them from their sins. And I believe that's why it makes sense and how this ends in verse 19 and how we see the Pharisees re- respond
2: similarly. Look at verse 19. And
1: so the Pharisees said to one another, you see that you are not doing any good. Look, the world has gone after him, speaking of Jesus. No, notice who the, who the Pharisees are turning their anger on. But they're not turning their, their anger on all those that are gathering. They're not going after Jesus. They're, they're not going after his disciples. They turn their anger on one another. And, and I believe that that's significant and has good application for us today. As we find ourselves trapped inside, right, in, in so many cases living on top of each other that, that we are not used to living like this. Now, now you are with your family basically 24-7. How is that going? Do, do you see that that, that that you're you're bucking heads a little bit more than normal? Perhaps you're being a little bit like the Pharisees and, and we need to ask the Lord to help us to confess our sins to him and to one another when we do not always act appropriately and in a godly fashion. We, we must follow the, the advice of James in, in one nineteen, where, where he says what to be slow to speak quick to listen and slow to become angry. I believe, too, what's implied in, in this friction, this bickering going on but between the Pharisees is that they understand something greater must be done. You see, they, they, they recognize, and I could see them saying something like this, see, what, what we've done up to this point hasn't worked. I told you guys we should have grabbed him last week. And, and what we find in, in John chapter 11, before we get to... To where we see ourselves now in in John chapter 12 is that the Pharisees got got so upset with Jesus that they were looking for a way to nab him. As as we see them say to each other in 1153, so from that day on, they planned together to kill him. They were coming up with a plan. Oh, yes, this is how we're going to do him in. And then in John eleven fifty seven, they, they it says this, now the chief priests and the Pharisees had given orders that if anyone knew where he was, he was to report it so that they might seize him. Do, do you see that that throughout the backdrop of all of, of John chapter 12 is the death of Jesus? That, that they were going to murder Jesus. That that is what they were planning to do. And yet they didn't want to do it on the Passover. Why? Because they thought too many people would be riled up, and they might turn against them. So what they were doing was they they were trying to wait till after the Passover. Which is very interesting, because if you look at the life of Jesus, and if we were to spend, and we could spend a lot of time doing this, looking at the life of Jesus Do you know what we would see as far as him bringing in many crowds, many people and and wanting the spotlight on him? You you don't see it at all. You see it sometimes, actually, where the people say, hey, let's make him king. And what does he do? He slips out and doesn't allow them to make him king. You see many times where, where he tells his disciples, hey, don't tell anybody this. Why? Because it's not time yet. He didn't want them to to usher in and make him king because that was not the plan. The plan was is that he would come first as the Savior, that he would come first to lay his life down for his sheep, for us, for those of us who trust in him.
2: And that is where we see him heading now.
1: And as we look at all of this, and as we see this, this triumphal entry laid out for us on the pages of Scripture, we, we see that, that possibly one of the reasons why this all happens, well, definitely because Scripture says it was going to happen this way, so it had to happen. Jesus had to, re, had to be recognized as the coming king. But there's also a, a part where it shows that all those present, that the Jewish people themselves and the leaders of the, of the Jewish people, that they are without excuse. Because Jesus had clearly revealed himself as who he was. The son of God, the coming one, the Messiah, the savior king. And yes, the conquering king. He had clearly revealed to them who he was. So they were without excuse. You see, he had done this through his triumphal entry. And and in the way that all the prophecy was fulfilled with the laying down of palm branches, with the sitting on a donkey and coming in on on top of the donkey. All of that pointed back to prophecy. But he'd also done it in very recently with his display of his power in raising Lazarus from the dead. So all those there, including the Pharisees, they should have got it. They should have recognized who this man was. My question for for us all this morning is, do you remember? Do you understand who this man is? Do you get it? And are you excited about season that the season, the next week that we are walking into, that the Lord Jesus Christ, that he set his will, his purpose to go to Jerusalem, to go to what we see right behind me here, to go to that cross, and to lovingly, willingly give up his own life,
2: for his sheep. This, I believe,
1: powerful message to us all of of, of missing who the king is is good as a backdrop for for where we're going to go this morning as I close our time. You see, because what can happen time and time again is, is we do different things that, that now become just, just our natural routine. Oh, yes, once a month we gather together and we take communion. We we remember the Lord having the Lord's Supper with one another. But I believe at times we, we can get all wrapped up in the emotion and all the excitement of what is going on. Just as the first group was shouting shouting and lifting their voices to heaven, no doubt. They were, no doubt, loud and emotional and very involved and excited with what was going on, but they missed him. And this morning, as we now have our time where we are going to remember what the Lord did for us in communion, I want to use that as a backdrop, that that we wouldn't miss him. That we would understand the significance of what we are remembering. And that we would rejoice in all that Christ has accomplished for us on the cross. So right now, if you haven't gotten your, your elements yet, if you haven't got the, the bread and the cup, please, you can, you can go run around your house right now and find it. man. That, that, that's, the, that's the blessing of you being at home and me being, being here is that I, I can't see you running all around, but I, I want you to get something. And, and, and may I, I say this too, we we lived in the jungles of Papua New Guinea for, for nearly 20 years and we never had a wafer that was perfectly round like this. We we never had grape juice. Do you know, you don't need those. What you need is something that represents his body. And that's why we eat so some sort of bread. You need some sort of, juice, some sort of drink that, rec- that allows us to remember that it was his blood that was shed. But I want to slow everything down this morning. As, as we're at home, and, and I'm sorry, we don't have many things to do after this. I don't want us to miss the significance of this moment. And so what, what I would like to do is I'd like to say just a quick word about, about this, about his body. And the significance of his body and what he did. And then I'm going to go off camera. And I just want you at home to, to spend some time focusing on that. On the cross. And what Jesus did on our behalf. Because so many times we just rush through and, and, and we don't consider all that Jesus did for us. Recognizing that that it wasn't just the cross that he endured, but before he was even hung upon that cross, the Lord Jesus Christ, his body was beaten for us. I I want us to remember him this morning. So, so I'm going to get out of the way and I'm gonna let you as a family, or, or if you're alone, that's great too. You were part of this, this body, but stop, slow down and thank him. Thank him for what he has done for us. And the suffering that he endured, paying our punishment, taking our punishment, taking the, the penalty of sin that, that was really meant for me
2: upon his shoulders. So let's spend some time. Oh gracious heavenly Father, we we don't say thank you enough for what Jesus did. Thank you, Jesus, for for suffering, for loving us so much that
1: you would you would go through through such a horrible, excruciating, painful death. We remember you this morning, and we rejoice for what you did for us. Lord. Pray that you would be honored. that You would be glorified. Amen. 1 Corinthians eleven twenty three 23, and 24 says this. For I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus in the night in which he was betrayed took bread And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Now, before we get the cup, and I, I encourage you to have your, your cup ready. But again, I, I'd
2: like to slow down and consider
1: what Jesus did. How first his body was, was beaten for us and how next his, his blood was literally shed for us. This isn't figurative. This, this is what happened. He poured his blood out for us because that was the only way to make a way. So let's spend some time thanking him for a sacrifice, for his blood being spilled, recognizing that that is the only way for us to receive salvation, to have our sins paid for. Was him doing that on our behalf. Gracious Heavenly Father, we we bask in your grace. We know that it's by your blood, Lord Jesus, and only by your blood that we are saved. Thank you so much for taking our place, for spilling your blood for us. May you be honored and glorified as we remember you this morning. Amen. And then 1 Corinthians 11, verse 26, Paul says this, for as often as you, I'm sorry, <laughs> verse 25, in the same way he took the cup, also after supper saying, this cup is my new covenant, In my blood, do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me.
2: Let's take the cup together.
1: Amen. For as often as you eat this bread and and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus, come. Thank you for for joining us this morning. I want to say one more time, if you need anything, if you are not able to get to the store and you need some supplies or or what have you, please reach out to us. And for those of you who who normally don't come and, and, and call Rancho Baptist Church your home, If anything that was said today about the Lord Jesus Christ and him dying on the cross for sins, if if you believe that, possibly for the first time, please get in contact with me or, or one of us at the church. You can look at the website online and get in touch with us. So thanks for this morning for the opportunity please come and, and and join us on friday evening for a good friday service so that we can remember all that the lord jesus did for us upon the cross thanks and goodbye